We begin this week's programme at Monocle's shop here in Toronto's West End, which marks its 10th anniversary in this location this year. It felt like an appropriate place to begin this week's programme, in which we'll explore the health of bricks and mortar in this corner of the city, nearly two and a half years since the onset of the coronavirus pandemic. While scores of physical retail spaces closed in cities around the world during lockdown, others opened, in many cases, for the first time. And that's what we'll be focusing on in today's show. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs with me, Thomas Lewis, here in Toronto. During the next 30 minutes, we'll hear from the owners of three businesses in this corner of the city, who've each opened their first physical retail space at some point during the past two years. We'll explore with them why they felt having a bricks and mortar component to their companies was important, and we'll assess the value of those spaces to their brands. Joining me for today's discussion are Nicole Campbell and Krista Oban of the Grape Glass Natural Wine Shop, just south of me here. Natasha McDermott and Sam Johnston of the Troublesome Design Store and Coffee Shop, just to my west. But first we hear from Martha Sharp, who owns the Flying Books Bookshop and Publishing House, just a few doors down from where I'm standing, who explains now why she decided to open her first physical bookstore. So in 2015, I was looking for my next... I mean, my background is in publishing. I've been working in book publishing for a long time. And I started out at a small press called House of Anansi Press and helped grow it. Then I lived in New York for a while and I worked for audible.com, the audiobook, digital audiobook company, as well as doing freelance editing and then came back for a job at Simon & Schuster. Everybody got laid off in Canadian publishing, not everyone, but really hundreds of people in the fall of 2014. And so I was taking some time to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I really wanted to help. I mean, I could have kept freelance editing, but I really wanted to do something that I thought could help the industry and the sort of problems that plague publishing. And to me, that always comes back to there not being enough independent bookstores in downtown Toronto, which is where I live. And so I thought, I don't have the money for a commercial lease to rent a storefront. But then I talked to a friend who had a gift store on Queen Street West, great neighborhood, like Queen and Dovercourt. And just in chatting about something completely different, she said, oh, I have to go. I have to go and order merchandise for the store. And I said, why don't you order books? And then that led to a conversation where we joined and collaborated together. And so I started the very first Flying Books location as a tiny shelf inside of that store, which was called Weekend Variety at Queen and Dovercourt. And then I grew it from there. So the initial investment was like under $300. And I thought, well, if I do it here, and I got, I branded it right away. And I was lucky enough to be able to get Leanne Shapton, who is an incredible graphic designer and author and just genius. I was lucky enough to get her to draw a logo for me, which has Amelia Earhart in the head and then flying books. And then on the strength of just basically the name and the concept, I deposited those locations into the front desk of the Gladstone Hotel and a couple of other locations within downtown Toronto. But it started tiny, 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 tiny. And I think that was the most important thing in order to get it going. And then COVID happened and all of the physical locations closed right away. And so I sparked up the e-commerce side that was slightly dormant on the website and came up with a name to just 
came to me airdrops. And so I started delivering books to people when they ordered them for free in downtown Toronto. And that took over my life for (laughs) a couple of years. But the weird thing is like COVID was a disaster and would I choose for it to never have happened? Yes, absolutely. But the thing is, it took off like crazy and so many people ordered books. And then was able to, by paying myself very little, was able to rent this space. So that's the nutshell narrative. (laughs) I'm so tired. (laughs) Well, let's give you a a moment of pause then, Martha, as we bring in Krista and Nicole here, co-founders of Grape Witches, which was for several years, for those with knowledge of the natural wine sector here in Toronto, a pretty well-known name, thanks to the events that you hosted. When did the idea of having a permanent physical space for Grape Witches come from? And what did you think it would add to a brand that you'd already built up so successfully? The quick and dirty history of Grape Witches is that we started in late 2016. 15? 15. 15 or 16. Uh, We started in the olden days um, with no business plan, late at night. Nicole and I have both worked in wine for a really long time. Her on the importing end in Ontario and the West Coast, and me as a sommelier. So we were at a cool wine show, drinking great wine, obviously, and wondering how we could share this really cool wine that sommeliers love to drink with people who don't necessarily work in the wine world. So, of course, we decided to throw a party when we got back to Toronto. So we started off as an events-based business doing really scrappy pop-up events in our friends' West End restaurants in Toronto. Yeah, I really was identifying, Martha, with your story and that we had no money at all. I mean, we just had, we really were starting with just the love of what we were doing, which, you know, it's hard to imagine now where the type of wine that we love, which is natural wine and really interesting, unique grapes and places and small stories are everywhere around the world, which has been such an amazing thing to follow over the time that we've had this business. But in 2015, you really could never find those wines in restaurants, especially if you didn't have a lot of knowledge. So really kind of starting with parties that people loved. And then again, Martha, similar to your story, finding that people really like, they loved, you know, having a glass of this wine, but they wanted to know more about what they were drinking because it was some like nothing they'd had before. In terms of our, our physical location, again, I guess, you know, similar to the troublesome folks, uh, we actually, it's funny, we actually looked at that your location before we found the space that we're in, which is just down the street. Uh, but it's a beautiful, beautiful spot that you have. We signed our lease yeah, we started our lease in 2020 yes. in early March. I was fresh back from Australia. We signed this lease that was going to be our event space that we needed because we were doing so many small to mid-sized events and always renting other people's spaces. So we were like, oh, great, it'll be our office. It'll be our event space. No problem. Sign the lease. Get our demo person in. And Demoed the space completely. <laughs> took everything out, like the baseboards, the plumbing, everything. And then a few days later, everything shut down. So we were like, cool, great timing. Yeah, but, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so spent a few very, you know, many sleepless nights. But again, similar to Martha's story, it ended up being, you know, the pandemic was awful for so many reasons, but we're one of the very few industries where really, especially in Ontario, where there are 
are lots of laws around alcohol. The laws really changed during COVID to help restaurants. And so we were really able to pivot the word of 2020, (laughs) but we were able to all of a sudden send wine to people's houses, which sounds like a very normal thing to do, but previously was incredibly illegal. Uh, So all of a sudden we were just shipping really interesting wine packs everywhere in Ontario. Like we just were struggling to keep up. Like we were just kind of like a packing facility and getting our friends and partners to help us and like trying to just, it was like a really exciting and hard and incredible time of just, you know, when the world was shutting down, having our work really just grow at a rate that was super exciting and and ultimately allowed us to, you know, not only survive, but build a much more beautiful space that originally we had budget for. Because again, we were just like, still didn't have a loan. We're really just, again, like not paying ourselves so able to make a scrappy space. And then all of a sudden now, we have been able to make a really beautiful space and an event space upstairs that we're currently in. Yeah, so now as a pretty multifunctional space, like we have a shop, the imports, we're also a little bar with a very cute patio area. So we do a ton of things in this space. So it's been really lucky for us to be able to have this brick and mortar place that we we had no idea what it would grow into with our lack of business plan and now like lack of understanding what's going to happen, you know, next month in this world. But here we are and we're really happy about it. And Natasha and Sam, to bring you in here, at the back of your bricks and mortar space, Troublesome, which is a design objects shop and a coffee shop too, at the back of that space is your your other company, your first night shift, which is a design studio and a creative agency here in Toronto. Perhaps you could explain for us why the idea of a design shop located in the same space as your design studio felt like a good next venture for you both. We started Night Shift out of our apartment, moved to a co-working space, and then moved to an office. And then at some point, we were told that we had to relocate uh, just due to the, I don't know, the contract of our lease was up or something. It was kind of a weird situation where a new owner was taking over. So we got like really late notice in 2019 in December, like you guys have basically three weeks to find a new office. And we kind of fell into the space we're in now on college. We're also on college, which is great. We're all in the same little neighborhood. And to kind of back up a bit, Sam and I, we've traveled a bunch and we always kind of romanticize the idea of opening a boutique and having that as a facet of the design studio. As most creative people, for some reason, coffee seems to be like a common thread in your passion. So we romanticized the idea of like having a design studio in the back and then kind of operating like a cafe in the front. And then when that opportunity came up where we had to find a new space, we fell into the space we're in now, as I said, and it just kind of seemed like perfect timing. So that wasn't really premeditated. It was just kind of based on everything kind of fell into place. This is something we were kind of brewing in the background. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we just kind of did this? We moved in February of 2020. And then obviously everything Mm -hmm happen from that. Yeah, so we had this unfortunate timing of moving in in February of 2020. We started to design the space as soon as we moved in. And then we had this hard stop, which was, you know, obviously this city, the world shutting down March of 2020, which was ended up being a little bit of a benefit for us just in the short term in that it gave us an excuse to spend a lot more time working on the design of the space, the branding of the space, really thinking about what we wanted to do with it. We initially had intended for it to be a much smaller part of the physical space that we're in, that we wanted it to be just this little coffee pocket at the front that'd be right up next to our window display. 
We wanted to like diversify ourselves too from like the neighborhood that we're in so that we weren't just another coffee shop. So we thought a way to kind of change that experience a bit was to add the boutique component. And so it became boutique first and foremost. We've got this you know, front display that has a ton of really great design products that we're very proud to curate. And then at the back, we've got our espresso bar. So it sort of leads people through the store in a way that feels much more intentional, much more considered than our initial version, which was a little bit more small scale. So it allowed us yeah. to ultimately expand our ambitions for the space. So it was all very gradual over time and a lot of it kind of happening just based on circumstances rather than it being overly premeditated. And then when we moved into our space based on the timing, I don't think we really thought of an opportunity to back out. Like, I think that's a question we get asked a lot of like, did you question just like not doing it? But we had already signed a three-year contract like February. (laughs) And then we were planning on opening like March 15th. And then we already had the plans designed to, I believe at that time for our coffee bar. And so we just kind of were like, I guess we're doing it. (laughs) And I think a big part of that was because we weren't being driven by you know, specific financial goals, that it's something that we wanted to do because we had this idea of building a space in the community that could be design focused and be, you know, public facing, that from a cost perspective, it would have made a lot of sense in that first year for us to just bow out. But it felt like the kind of thing that we were initially nervous to pull the trigger on, but something that we felt like we really wanted to do, like, this is our one shot to... It's not like now or never. Yeah, to do this retail experiment that we'd always sort of had in the back of our minds. We kind of just came at Troublesome from the opposite angle where we were no longer the people making the art, but we were the ones responsible for, you know, reaching out to those artisans, those connections that some of those connections that we've I've already made throughout the years or I already kind of knew how to approach that and handle that part of the business. That was all pretty like straightforward. Wasn't too much of a hurdle for us to do that. And then the way that we tie that in with the studio is that we think that it offers a bit of a leg up to potential clients that are interested in working with us for brand because Night Shift is a brand focused design studio. So we can offer that as credibility in terms of we can brand your small business if you're looking to move into retail or e-commerce. And we also have a boutique ourselves. So we know how to design for the demographic that you're trying to hit. We know how to design packaging in a way that's going to make people like want to pick it up off a shelf. So shelf presence being really important. All those things we learn from doing it and from communicating with, you know, customers that come into the shop in our neighborhood, we're able to take that and then throw that back into the studio. And so it's this kind of like full ecosystem where if there was also an opportunity where we got a new client where they were starting a new retail business, we would be able to work with them on that brand development and then push them to the retail aspect and kind of help them get their first foot in the door in terms of you can start selling your products at Troublesome. And it's just, like I said, like a full ecosystem. Well, that feels like a good moment in which to take a brief pause here on The Entrepreneurs. We will have much more from our panellists here in Toronto in a moment. But now it's time to head back to London. Here's Monocle's business editor, David Hodari, with this week's Entrepreneurs News. Thanks, Thomas. It's a special week here at Midori House. Not that every week isn't. Our special summer edition hits shelves around the world. First of all, I'll direct the attention of the entrepreneurs out there to our quality of life survey, which looks at the best cities for work-life balance. Copenhagen was this year's winner. Some 42% of commuters cycle to work, and the working week is 37 hours long, which means citizens will have more time to enjoy the city's booming restaurant and art scenes. And while you're nosing through the new edition, take a look at the business section. In there you'll find a long read about Oishi, the New Jersey-based vertical farming startup. 
which grows luxury strawberries and gives us a window into the future of how we eat. Food for thought indeed. Back to you in Toronto, Thomas. Thank you very much, David. Well, still with me are our panellists today to assess the health of bricks and mortar retail in this corner of Toronto. And Martha, to come back to you at Flying Books, there's a common thread between all of the businesses we're talking about today, it seems to me, and that there's a degree of curation involved in each of your companies. Does having a physical bookshop for you allow you to emphasise that part of what Flying Books offers as a display, I suppose, for the select number of books that you have curated and chosen to be on the bookshelves in your shop? I mean, there are so many books published every single day now. I mean, it's mind boggling. So if one walks into a giant bookstore like Indigo or even a smaller bookstore, uh, sometimes the feeling is just being for the book buyer, the reader is just being overwhelmed by the choice. And online, it's even worse. So that was really a one of the problems, aside from there not simply not being enough bookstores in the city that I live in, the ones that were there were just sort of rammed with so many. And I was often being asked by friends or other writers or, you know, just what to read next. And so I think about books all of the time. I think about them and obsess about them the way that some people do with sports like hockey or I don't know if I get into the stats so much, but <laughs> it's just something that I, or music or film for other people it's books for me. And so I always have about like five to 10 to 12, maybe titles at any given time that I'm, you know, most interested in that are recent releases. I'm also really into what is coming out now and next and who's publishing what. And so I love the sort of behind the scenes stories about all of those things. And I just tried to take that knowledge and the passion and bring it to these very curated selections of books that I put, I call them flights to tie in with flying books. It's a term that's used in wine, of course, as well. And I put them in these spaces in order to sort of draw attention and focus. I hand wrote descriptions of each of the titles. So what I was trying to do was like guide people to the books that I believed were great. But even though there are more books here, I'm still thinking very carefully about what books I'm bringing in and how I'm presenting them. I'm dedicating the front of the store to independently published books. And then I also have books by the large publishers because, you know, they're fantastic books as well. But I have them sort of farther back in the store because everybody's going to find, you know, the new Jonathan Franzen. They're going to come in and look for that anyway. But what I want to put up front is like, you know, the new fiction list from Arsenal Pulp or Book Hug or Anansi or Coach House and then great indies from around the world as well. So I'm trying to guide people in that way. And I chat with customers about the layout of the store, what's here, how I'm building it out. It's an opportunity to talk to people about the books that they hope to see more of. Yeah, I'm going to really constantly remind myself to keep it curated, to keep it so that the piles of boxes don't build up. Inventory is for book publishers and book retailers, just money in boxes. So I'm going to try really hard not to do that. I also publish my own books here from Flying Books. And so... It's nice to have like a showcase for those <laughs> and a place to do events. And I don't know but if everybody else has found this, especially you guys at Grape Witches, but did there not feel like a certain time starting like last summer a little bit where the online really tapered off 
I hope it's not just me. And people seem to be out in the world. But yeah, I really felt like people are out in the world again. They're not staying home and ordering stuff on their computers to be delivered to their homes by masked people. They're out spending on all kinds of different things. So I couldn't sort of rely on that steady monthly income of, you know, like a reliable amount. It started to taper off and I was like, oh, I got to get out in the world. If Flying Books is going to continue, there needs to be a sign over a storefront. And, you know, let's do this. Nicole from Great Witches. Very much in those first days, you know, I remember releasing, we would do curated three packs and we would just like, it was unbelievable. Like we would sell out in like three minutes, you know, like people would set timers and like we couldn't restock because we physically couldn't get more of the wines that we were trying to get. Like it was kind of like an unbelievable time where a lot of people were, you know, discovering a lot of wines and like falling in love with natural wine, which was really exciting. And of course, you know, it's totally changed. We don't, when we release a pack now, we're not, we don't get hundreds of sales within three minutes for most things, which is fine. You know, it's our online presence is still really important. I think for wine, people have really come to appreciate, especially in Ontario, you know, the service that they couldn't have before in terms of having great wine delivered to their house. But of course, you know, many of the folks who shop with us online the most also come in and want to talk to us about a bottle they really loved or connected with and like show us a photo of their dinner and their experience and and find out what to drink next or just like, you know, have someone to share that with. Yeah. And Great Purchase is no longer just us selling things on the internet and organizing weird scrappy parties. We have a team of, of nearly 10 people. So the nice thing for us about having this bricks and mortar shop is to be able to welcome people into the shop now that that feels safe and have this curated selection of wine and other fun stuff and, you know, walk people through that where you wouldn't get that same kind of service in a big box Monopoly store, but certainly the smaller restaurants and bottle shops and bookshops and all of these places around Toronto can offer those kinds of really personal services to people. Sam from Troublesome, did you want to add to that? When it comes to the idea of supporting local, that's definitely something that we're seeing in a great way that people are coming in and there's almost a defiance to it where they're like, I want to get out in the world. I mean, we've had a bunch of people who are coming in and saying, this is the first place I've visited since lockdown. One of the other things that we're seeing is that people are coming in and they want to shop at a local boutique and they're also looking for hyper-local goods as well. Because we have a mix of local and global curation, there's also a measure of disappointment when they pick up some of our Japanese stationery. They're like, is this local? And we're like, sorry, it's you know imported from Japan, which you know we're very proud of our, our curation, but it is something that we're seeing so much energy in that direction that people are really, really, they have this really intrinsic desire to support their community, which is something that's, I mean, coming through in every part of our interactions with our, our customers. Almost without exception, I feel like there's this, I don't know, this energy where they're just happy to see a new business start at all. And so they're coming in with that that positivity. In terms of like adding value, brick and mortar, how does that add value? Like for us, a big component for us right now is a, the emotional probably more than anything, just because we're still in, you know, we're in a sleepy part of college. We're still waiting for traffic to kind of kick up and so many other businesses in our area have left and new ones have come in. So we're kind of waiting to see what summer and spring bring, hopefully more foot traffic. But for us right now, I think like our biggest win is like the emotional side of it, just getting to know our neighbours. Nicole and Krista from Grape Witches. 
in terms of neighborhood, it's, you know, yeah, we're all in this same neighborhood, which is this great West End neighborhood of Toronto that I've lived in a long time. And it's really having this physical space for the last two years has really transformed my experience of, of the neighborhood and community and getting to meet so many more people and be a part of, you know, in your local wine store, our dream is like, we see some people a few times a week, you know, and that's a really, been a really special part of it. We know their dogs, we know their, <laughs> you know, hot gossip. Yeah, we feel really anchored in the community and like anchored by having this cool community around us of people that we get to know and see. And a final quick question to each of you. Your experiences of opening up a bricks and mortar space during a time of, of real pressure. It's been interesting to hear the specifics of each of your experiences. But also, I think there's been a lot of similarities, too, even though you each operate in different corners of the retail sector. Are there any lessons that have helped you through the process of opening up your first physical iterations of your companies here in Toronto? Nicole of Great Witches, do you want to start us off? And I mean, in terms of lessons, I think it's been kind of endless for us. It's been a really, you know, for all of the how amazing it was for the laws to change during, you know, the last few years. It's also been an incredible challenge to run a business in a pandemic and all of the supply chain issues uh, for us to have a final drink. And also just, you know, learning how to have a staff, learning how to have, you know, a physical space, but also a really important online space and how important design is and also kind of navigating having an event space and, and being a patio, which essentially in the summer, like we're a restaurant. So it's the lessons have been a lot. <laughs> how to just be yeah flexible and engaged and try to stay ready for what's next when we don't know what the heck that's going to be. Natasha and Sam of Troublesome. No matter how many times you've started a business, it never gets easier. Like it, it kind of gets harder. And I won't speak for Sam, but I think I get overly confident in like the execution because I'm a designer and I'm a doer and I, I've always been someone who's worked with small teams. So I've, I know how to like do all of the things, but then you just kind of have to wait and hope people like it. And that's the hardest part. And so it's just been a, a big lesson in like, you can have the beautiful retail space and the beautiful photography and the beautiful design, but there is an element of just like, like you guys were saying of just waiting to see what happens, whether that's like the climate what's going on in the world or what your neighbors think of what you're bringing to the table, if they think it's a value to them. So it's a little bit of give and take there. I want to echo everything that the Great Witches folks said, that being a part of the community, that was, I think, the biggest driver from us at the start was we would travel to different cities around the world. And the thing that we would always seek out is little design shops and other things that sort of felt like you're getting a sense of what the city is, what the city's point of view is. And that's something that we wanted to bring to Toronto. We wanted to be a part of the fabric and be the thing that we always got excited about when we visited other cities. We wanted to be a part of that here. That is like just the dream part of it. Like just growing the thing organically by having relationships with customers and being part of the neighborhood. It's really the relationships and the affirmation that what I'm doing is not insane. And holding on to that during the slow, hard days where it feels like nobody's coming in and, oh my God, what have I done? So the collaboration goes on sort of with the books and the authors and the publishers and everybody involved, but also with the customers. They're a major collaborator too. 
And that brings our quick tour of three bricks and mortar retail spaces here in Toronto's West End to a close. My thanks to Martha Sharp of Flying Books, which you can find at flyingbooks.ca, Krista Oban and Nicole Campbell of The Grape Witches, which you can find at grapewitches.com, and Natasha McDermott and Sam Johnston of Troublesome, which you can find at troublesome.co. Today's programme was mixed and edited by Jack Dewars in London. My thanks to him, as always. You can listen again to today's discussion on the value of bricks and mortar retail to the entrepreneurs we've heard from today, or delve into our archive of inspiring business stories by heading to monocle.com forward slash radio. You can, of course, find us on your preferred podcast platform too. I'm Thomas Lewis here at the Monocle Shop in Toronto. We'll have a brand new episode of the programme for you at the same time next week. But for now, it's goodbye and thank you for listening to The Entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs.